from the lair of the white worm, it's the IGN Digigods. And now, please welcome two men whose gothic altered states are crimes of passion, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Yeah, we love a good Ken Russell reference. Uh, Corey, which of our fans is big on the, uh, on the Ken Russell? That was brought to you by What's-His-Face, who does things with movies. That was brought to you by Ken Russell. Who? Teresa no. Russell. No. Who, what are we talking about? No. <laughs> that was brought to you by Mario Mendez. There we go. Super duper Mario Mendez. Thought it was going to be a video game reference? Wasn't. Fooled you. <laughs> Mario, of course, uh, brother of Mike Mendez. We will forever attach him to his brother who did uh, Big Ass Spider. Yeah. Love the Big Ass Spider. Now, wait, here's the thing. Yes, sir. Now, right before we went on, I checked uh, Facebook. Yeah. And uh, have you seen our good friend Mark Sanderson's latest post? No. Now, Mark Sanderson, very successful uh, writer, yes. screenwriter, like an actual working correct. writer in the business. Yes, correct. Consistently working. He's one of those, like, guys who, okay, Forget, you know, whatever, writing the next yep. Avengers, forget yep. Oscars, whatever. He's one of the many mm-hmm. who is blessed with having a consistent, you know, Correct. decent paying, can be proud of it, yes. job. Also someone, also, also someone I, I went to high school and film school with and, and acted in two of his student films. Interesting we'll, you should say that. I, 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 because I'm getting in front of this. I, uh, excuse, yes. Do you know what it is? <laughs> no, but I have a this feeling. This is what Mark just posted. Go ahead. And, and I'm saying this because maybe our, our fans can watch this. Yeah. The opening scene of my video project one at UCLA Film School, Heinous Crimes. Oh, dear. Stars Wade Major, Dean oh, Mason, and a cameo from Raj McWana. Oh, dear. Who also did the superb music score. Oh, dear. Raj and, did do uh, a good job with the music, but uh, oh, And dear. ladies and gentlemen, if you want to see Wade. Oh, dear. <laughs> is that really you? I, I don't even know what the picture is, but look, I, I, look, it's, look it must be. Is that be... you on the left? Yeah. That is bizarre. Oh, my gosh. You look nothing like you look. Thank goodness. Dean looks the same, though. Dean looks the same. Dean, by the way, who was famous because he was an extra in Star Trek Six. <laughs> now, have, have, have we told the Star Trek Six extra story recently? About Dean? About when, when uh, Alfred Woodard, they're crawling through some kind of a, a service tube or something to escape the Borg or whatever. I don't even know. I remember what it was. But Alfred Woodard, whichever one is Alfred Woodard's in, she comes and she, she crawls out of frame. And then right behind her, there's Dean as a crew person, an extra. And he makes the most of that moment, man. He just looks up, tilts his face right into the camera, and then moves on by. <laughs> That is amazing. Now, wasn't he the one who was saying that Gates McFadden was a little bit of a uh, biatch? I did, can't did remember. He, he may have. I can't remember. I think I think Dean said that. Mm. Anyway, that's the one where they're escaping the Borg, right? Wasn't that the one? That, that's a good one. No, uh, um, what's it called? Uh, uh, I forgot the name. First Contact. I can't remember. First Contact. First Contact. Yeah, terrific. It. It's one of yeah. the best ones of the whole series, can't quite remember. frankly. Whatever. <laughs> what? How dare you? Uh huh. So, by the way, uh, so uh, what did you do in Canada? I was in Canada. What did you do? Now, except for one day in Montreal uh, about uh, 15 years ago, I've never been to Canada. So I wanted no, to No, so the, the incident with the bear, the beer, the water no. weenie didn't happen? No, did okay. not. Okay, all right. Uh, I wanted to get out of town, wanted to take an adventure, a little sure. trip, Labor Day. Mm-hmm. I asked my friends, where should I go? Someone says Hawaii, someone says uh, Mexico. Okay. And I do a bunch of Googling. And the Googling is like, you know, places to go that's less than a three-hour plane flight from Los yes. Angeles. Because I don't want to go, like, uh, to Paris. And Whistler comes up, and I start reading about Whistler, which is a resort area 
mostly a ski area. <clears throat> However, mm-hmm. you can uh, uh, they do have summertime activities. Sure. So it's beca- it becomes interesting. So I start telling friends, there's a dark horse candidate. The dark horse is Whistler. And then suddenly, everybody knows about Whistler. Oh, Whistler, I've been there 17 times. Yeah. Oh, hey, I'm going to Whistler. Thinking about going to Whistler. Whistler, I've been there. I, I got married there. I'm thinking about going to Whistler. I've been there 17 times. Whistler, I love Whistler. Everybody coming out of the woodworks to say how much they love Whistler. All these people I didn't even know were, in Can- ever, were ever in Canada suddenly love Whistler. So I'm like, all right, make it happen. There you go. When I was, went bear watching. Went whitewater rafting. Now, you went bear watching, meaning you went watching bears as opposed to bear people. You mean like gay like like naked, like naked. Thing? Oh, bear! I thought naked, you meant like okay. naked. Yes, I saw bears. No, not like not like big hairy gay men. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I do no. white water rafting, right? So here, okay, real quick, I'll tell you the story. Okay. Uh, so I do the white water, and this is one of those Mark neurotic New Yorker stories. So I'm a little nervous. I'm a city kid, nervous yeah. about white water rafting. So I decide yeah. to sign up for level one. Now, of level one is basically just a stick floating on the water. Sure. That's what level one is. So I sign up for that, and I'm even, I'm even nervous about that. The night before, I get a call from the whitewater rafting people saying, essentially, that I was the only person cowardly enough to, sh- to sign up for level one, which means that they're not going to run the class that day because they don't run a class where there's only one person, especially a coward who wants level one. So either they can give me a refund or they can kick me up to level two and three and take that rafting ride. Now, that freaked me out because I can't ride roller coasters I make myself car sick when I drive. Basically, I'm Woody Allen. Mm-hmm. And I was very nervous. And I asked her a million questions. I put her through the ringer. I was like, how big are the waves? How long is the ride? Can I sit in the back so if I throw up, it'll be okay? All this sort of stuff. So finally, when she's probably about to tell me to go to hell and just hang up on me, I said, okay, fine. I'll do the 2-3 the cla- the class. So I do the 2-3 uh, uh, class. Let me tell you something. Mm-hmm. It was a blast. It mm-hmm. was so much fun. Fun. Really? Literally, the guy who said to the uh, to the the other people in the boat, I, and I did say this. I did reiterate this to the people in the boat. I did say, "May I please sit in the back in case I throw up?" And they laughed. And one guy had a GoPro on the top of his head. He was shooting the whole thing on a GoPro. And uh, but in the end, whenever we went over a big wave, I was the guy yelling, "Woohoo!" <laughs> I was having such a blast. It was great. <laughs> anyway, Whistler, gorgeous, beautiful, would love to return. I'm nice. planning on returning next summer. It's just a gorgeous, beautiful, well, wonderful place with good food, nice people. Met a girl, didn't go anywhere, but it, it lent some intrigue to the weekend. I met twins. The next day was their 36th birthday. There were <laughs> twins? twins. Yes. Like in the beer commercial? Yes. Yeah. The next day was their 36th birthday. Uh-huh. And so I hung out with them <laughs> that night and a little bit the night after All on right. their birthday. All right. Uh, nothing happened, but again, it lent some intrigue to oh, the there weekend. there we go. There you go. Good okay. deal. Well, good for you. Well, you asked, and now you know. That, I, I'm glad you had a great time. Oh, I, except for the fact that my Air Alaska flight was three hours late taking off, Ooh. which bogarted the entire good vibe I had from the trip. Air Alaska is supposed to be a nice airline. Never been you, on it. You know what? Here's the thing. I've never flown Alaska Airlines. Mm-hmm. So my initial impression. You know, Joe Settlemeyer used to do their commercials. You remember that? Like everybody used to talk about him as being like the guy who did the Where's the Beef Wendy commercials. But he was, the, he was the man back then. He was doing the Alaska Airlines commercials. He was doing uh, D- uh, Del Taco commercials. He was doing the Wendy's commercials. He was doing them all out of Chicago. So, um, Those were funny commercials on Alaska Airlines. He was the short guy with the mustache, right? Was he that guy? Joe Settlemeyer, the, the, the commercial director in, in Chicago. Oh, the director. Yeah. 
Uh, no, the short guy with the mustache was the guy who talked fast and did the FedEx commercials. That's right. He did the FedEx stuff, too. Yeah, he did anyway, the FedEx commercials. So I'm saying too. is I've never flown Alaska Airlines, right? So my, my initial impression, very poor, because the plane mm-hmm. was two hours and 45 minutes taking off, okay? Mm-hmm. But the plane itself, nice. I mean, there's a lot of legroom. And ble- I, look, I'm, I'm six feet, so, mm-hmm. and I have long legs, so it's like I am very aware yeah. of how uncomfortable playing, uh, plane flights are to me. Alaska you will, Airlines. You will turn around and you will punch somebody using a knee defender. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, In fact, too. I'll yell, uh, uh, I, I love Allah while I do it. See what happens. <laughs> but Alaska Airlines, a lot of legroom. Anyway, so I complained, right? I right. complained because two yeah, hours sure. Before, sure. Uh, they gave me 100 bucks off my next flight. No kidding. They did. That's pretty sweet. And I'm going to use that to go to New York for Thanksgiving. Good deal. Now, our, I, I'm under the impression we're supposed to talk about DVT. Yes, we are. And I have, I have a mea culpa to offer. I, I screwed up. Every once in a while, I get my notes wrong. And uh, I screwed something up a few weeks ago. So I want to redeem myself. Uh, when I was talking about the film Home is Where the Heart Is, I, uh, I screwed up my cast names. Because I was looking at notes. I was looking at the box cover. I got, I got it all, all screwed up. And uh, I mistakenly identified. Bailey Madison is the little girl. Uh, the little sister. She's not the little, but the, the, the little sister in the movie is Bailey Madison. Uh, I incorrectly identified Bailey Madison as the guy who had been uh, the character actor who was also in Beverly Hills Cop, who in fact is Jonathan Banks. So I want to get Ooh, that Ooh, Jonathan Banks, who was in 48 Jonathan Hours. Banks. He was the cop who got shot in, in the hotel in 48 Hours. Was he? Yeah. Was he really? Don't do it, Jake. Don't do it for me. I see, I don't remember that. I, I, but I remember him, you know, in, in Beverly Hills Cop. Hey, cuz. Why, no, why is there not a... He's a great actor. He is. Jonathan Banks. My apologies to, to everybody, to Bailey Madison, to Jonathan Banks, and everybody else for confusing those names. Why is uh, uh, there not a special Blu-ray of 48 Hours? God, is that not the... I mean, ser- it, it started ser- you, well, the uh, buddy it, cop, modern buddy cop movie. The, the, it, it, the problem is Paramount doesn't care about any of their catalog titles. They don't. I mean, they've turned them all over to Warner Brothers, so... Unless Warner Brothers works something out where they get a bigger piece of the pie for doing the hard work, Paramount's not going to do that. Paramount doesn't do anything for that. As far as they're concerned, once a movie is six months old, it's done. It's played out. It's disposable. That's the Paramount philosophy. Now. Unless Eddie Murphy somehow gets nominated for an Oscar, yeah. a career resurgence, nah. even then, see some money in it. Even then, they won't do it. They just don't okay, do it. Paramount you... does not do those special editions for their catalog titles. That's they just great. won't do it. By the way, can I say that uh, the other night I watched yep. uh, um, uh, Cabaret. Yes. And I was very late watching the Blu-ray on that. And uh, Cabaret, it's so good. Yep. Really it great. It sure is. It's awesome. And, and you know, what's funny about Cabaret, not to talk about a film that we talked about two weeks ago when we should be talking about films for this mm-hmm. upcoming week, but you have to be reminded yes. that at the 1972 Oscars, Cabaret won almost three times as many Oscars as The Godfather won. Yep. You know, like uh, Coppola did not win Best Director for The Godfather. No, Bob Fosse won. That's right. Pacino did not win Best Supporting Actor nope. for The Godfather. Joel Joel Gray won. Joel Gray won. Mm-hmm. And Liza Minnelli won. I mean, two years later, Godfather Two kind of swept everything. Coppola got his Oscar, and you know, which is fine. It should, and, and it should have. But yeah, that's that's true. Godfather got Best Picture, but Cabaret was very much in the mix with all of that. And there are certain years where there is this, like, oh, my gosh, there are, like, two great films, and they're kind of sharing the, the wealth. And the other, you know, 65 was like that. Everybody thinks of 65 as the year of, uh, gone with, of, of uh, Sound of Music. Sound of Music won, you know, like, like seven awards or something. But Dr. Zhivago won, like, six. And they were, bi- they were big ones, too, you know, cinematography and, and script and all that stuff. So, I mean, there's, um, you know, there, there are years where you got a couple of heavy hitters. That was one of them. Now, by the way, before we get into DVDs. Yes. 
Uh, now, we know we uh, talked on the Facebook page uh, a little bit about Joan Rivers. Yes. Who passed away last week. Yeah. And uh, I went off the uh, beaten path with my Joan Rivers movie yes. selection because she didn't, she didn't do a lot of movies. No. Which is fine. But I did say that if you would like to see a great movie that happens to be her film debut, you should go see The Swimmer. You should rent The Swimmer. I would agree. Which is one of my favorite uh, Burt Lancaster performances. Yep. It's a great movie. It's, uh, it's a cult classic, a little bit overlooked. Uh, there was a rumor that Adrian Brody, I think, was going to star in a remake of it or something. There, there was such a rumor, and and it's it's rather unfortunate because the swimmer, you know, um, as far as its DVD uh, history is Spotty. is interesting. It was originally released in two thousand three by Columbia. Okay, the you know the, at the time Columbia TriStar Home Video now would be Sony, and uh, I don't know what happened to it, but eleven years later, just this last March. It winds up being released on Blu-ray by Grindhouse Releasing. Now, if there's ever a movie that does not fit the Grindhouse label, it's The Swimmer. So I don't understand how The Swimmer wound up on Grindhouse Releasing. However, um, you know, unless it's a different Swimmer, they, they, you know, there it is. But they never sent it to us. So uh, we were never able to uh, talk about it. Well, but here's what I'm going to do now, Wade. I'm going to read the entry for The Swimmer. Do that. In the uh, Leonard Maltin's 2015 movie guide. Now, there's a reason why we are reading this specifically from Leonard Maltin's 2015 movie guide. Indeed. And Wade will tell us what that is in a second. But here's what Leonard had to say about The Swimmer. Uh, 1968, three and a half stars. Middle-aged man swims from pool to pool on journey home during hot afternoon. Each pool evokes past memories and events. Fascinating, vastly underrated film adapted from John Cheever's short story, Lancaster Superb, and location filming in Connecticut perfectly captures mood. So, Wade, why did, yep. why did we want to read this from Leonard Maltin's 2015 because movie guide? Because this is the final edition of Leonard Maltin's movie guide. He will be continuing this no more. It will no longer be published. It will, I, I assume it will be available in perpetuity in an unupdated version digitally for the iPad and the iPhone and, and uh, digital devices. But uh, as far as being able to purchase a, a brand new, printed, big, thick Leonard Maltin's movie guide every year in book form, that is no longer going to be a reality. It's a shame. It's a shame. It's but a shame. That's, that's, you know, Leonard, Leonard it, it's, uh, it breaks my heart because, you know, I, Leonard is one of those guys that had just a huge, profound impact on all of us. And for those of us who, you know, grow up and wind up finding ourselves in, in meetings and with Leonard in the same room, there's still, still something kind of ethereal about it. He does give off an aura. He gives off an aura. And by the way, he doesn't ask for that. He's the nicest, mentioned, no, sweetest it, it, guy look, in the history of everything. T- t- am I not right? No, you're Lafka wrong. meetings. You're wrong. Lafka meetings can degenerate into truly like a pack of hyenas uh, just fighting and yelping and yipping. And, and certain people will say things and other people will carp at them. And it just it becomes really just, just unruly at a certain point. There's nothing you can do to maintain order. And then Leonard will speak, and so help me God, it's like Moses coming down from the mountain, and everyone shuts up, and they obey. And it's like, it, it's, there's just something, he just, you don't want to disrespect the guy. You just, he just carry, and he doesn't, he doesn't wear it on his sleeve. It's just about him. You just, he's so nice, and he's so sweet, and he's so knowledgeable, and he's so unassuming, and he doesn't frickin' age. He looks the same now as he did 40 years ago. It's unbelievable. And you just, you just... He, there it is. He just brings everything back to that level tone. It's amazing. Now, people don't realize that back He's in the day, the that back in the day, you know, when you would go to a video rental store to rent yeah. a movie, you would have Leonard Maltin's guide either in your hand or in your head 
decided I would watch, what to rent. I would watch, te- yeah, absolutely. I would watch television and, uh, you know, this thing was always like three inches away because you see the stars in the, in the TV guide or in the, in the guide or anything. You just go, I know those aren't accurate. And I then, know that's just not representative. And go to, go to Leonard. And then when the new one came out, you wanted to know what he thought about your favorite films from the previous year. Absolutely. Yep. God, I love Star Trek 2. What does he think of Star Trek 2? Yeah. And I never forget his Star Trek 2 review. Well, you know, Ray, Ray did a little uh, NPR piece, which I posted a link of on the, on the Facebook page, and uh, he interviewed me, and he interviewed Robert Abley. Uh, about I, I, I heard your thoughts on it. I, I, I listened to it. Yeah. Your thoughts weren't very good. Anyway. Well, thank you. Ray, Ray interviewed me for like 40 minutes, <laughs> and I got in there with like two sound bites. I'm like, where's the rest of the stuff? Anyway. Please. It's all good. It's all good. So, Mark, we're going to talk about some new movies right now. We, got, we have a Vox box this week. We got a box. <laughs> not, no, no, not now. We have a Vox box, but first off, uh, let's talk about uh, Captain America the Winter Soldier, which was sent to us in the standard, uh, we're Marvel and we make so much money that we have to act like we're paupers, so we're not going to send anybody final product on this, we're just going to send you a generic Blu-ray, not the 3D Blu-ray, and it's not even going to come with packaging or anything else, so here, make do with this, losers. And uh, so I can really only talk about the movie, I can't talk about the 3D, I can't talk about any of the, uh, the extras or anything, I... I, I cannot speak to I mean, any of that stuff. you can't talk about them. It, just, it wouldn't be fair. It's just, it just, it chafes me that of all these companies out there that distribute DVDs, there is only one that is unspeakably cheap, and it's Marvel. It's it really just, is true. It's unbelievable. They will not, even when, even when they had the Avengers making ungodly sums of money, they wouldn't even buy consideration ads for the people who worked on that movie to I mean, possibly get it. Oscar nominations. Just do it. You know what it is? It's, it's becoming where it's almost becoming Kardashian-esque in the this, in this sense. Yeah. That you're supposed to be honored and proud that you're working on a Marvel you, film. You know, you know here's Versus, the thing. Yes. You and I both know this business has a funny way of turning the tables. And there's a reason why it's bad politics in this business for any producer or any director to be mean to their assistant. There's a, real re- there's a good reason for that, and that's because in two or three years' time, that assistant could be Kevin Feige and could be running an entire division and suddenly be your boss. Okay? You know, when Francis Coppola uh, threw a bone to uh, this little filmmaker who really wanted to get a movie made, nobody else would help him get it made, named George Lucas to get American Graffiti made, little did they know that only a few years later, Coppola would be bankrupt and would actually need Lucas to throw him a bone. You know, these, these things turn on a dime. So Marvel, yeah, Marvel's in the top of the world right now. Wow, Guardians of the Universe has been, what, number one for like five very weak weeks or whatever it is, four weeks, whatever it is. But you know what? Marvel's fortunes could flip in a heartbeat. And suddenly they could actually need people to say nice things about them again. They should, think, they should keep that in mind. You're, nobody stays on the top of the heap forever. And in fact, uh, Christy and I were just talking about this the other day. All the different executives who used to run the studios. You go back in the 1980s and you look at who was running studios back then and you ask yourself, where are they now? They are out of the business, most of them. Sure, Katzenberg's here, Barry Diller's on top of the world. You know, you've got, you've got a handful that are still there, you know, uh, Bruckheimer and whatnot. But you look at a lot of these others, they are gone. They're gone. They are non-factors. They're out of the business. I mean, it's amazing. This business is cruel. It is indiscriminate. And uh, Marvel needs to just be a little nicer and stop being so cheap. Well, be good to your people. Buy some consideration ads. I swear, so help me, I am going to go off on that company if they do not buy any consideration ads for Guardians of the Galaxy. Give me a break. Number one film of the year. Buy buy a consideration ad. Is it going to get any Oscar nominations? A few technical ones, probably. But geez, be nice to these people. 
show them you appreciate them. It is true. The, um, the, sad, anyway. the sad part is that uh, I enjoyed Captain America uh, it, very much. You know what? Dupree really buffed up. <laughs> exactly. He did. Best sequel to You, Me, and Dupree I've ever seen. <laughs> Gosh. It's anyway, good. No, it is good. I, it's a it fun is movie. It's exciting. It's fun. It's engaging. Yeah. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I did not think I would. I, you know, that's it, it, the, the, that's where you realize that these Marvel films are almost Pixar esque in the sense that they have been they they, they are polished and spit shined yeah. down to just down to the nub. And, I agree. But that's okay. Uh, they're good. What can I tell you? And um, I I love seeing even though it's, he, a, it's he, a it's a good script. It's not it's not typical. Of the uh, uh, of the you know the superhero things have gotten very formulaic. That one is not typical. It, they 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 were able to find a way of doing a few interesting things, and and, and it's different. And and I appreciated that. It's got that that seventies paranoia yep. thing going on, which obviously yep. they've honored by hiring Robert Redford to play one of the major roles. Indeed. Even though Redford has no idea what he's doing in this movie, you can it's, tell it's, it's still Robert Redford. It, uh, By it, the way, yeah, the, um, <laughs> it, it does feel as though he just walked onto a soundstage and said, oh, I'm sorry. And they said, no, 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 stay, stay here. Read these lines. Really uh, okay. And he reads the lines and then he goes and he walked off. That's really what, isn't that what it feels like? It really is true. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't. No, no, no. Come on in. It's the best. <laughs> anyway, we liked it a lot. We can't speak for the Blu-ray yeah. because they didn't send it to us because they're cheap. But uh, and, and we would love to rip on the movie based on the fact that they're cheap, uh, but we can't because we liked it a lot. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I am going to rave right now about what I think is one of the best films of the year, Words and Pictures. Words and Pictures is an unbelievably great movie. It did not really get the great release that it deserved. Uh, it was released very kind of, uh, I, I don't want to say half-heartedly, because Roadside Attractions does the best that they can. Uh, but this needed like a studio release. You know, a studio would have gotten behind this and would have just pushed this thing over the top. Clive Owen and Juliette Binoche are absolutely wonderful for Fred Skepsi, who hasn't directed a, a great movie and this is maybe the best film he's done since A Cry in the Dark. I mean, really? like, yeah. I mean, that's How about Roxanne? Better than Roxanne. This is, I cried at this movie. It is so good. Uh, uh, Gerald DePago, l- veteran screenwriter, wrote it. Uh, this was just a, 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 you know, a labor of love for him, produced by Curtis Birch, who's, you know, who was like a development guy for a long time. I mean, these are veteran guys, and there's just so much heart in this. Here's what this is. Clive Owen, he's an alcoholic. It, it takes place basically in a private school. Uh, and Clive Owen is uh, this alcoholic uh, English teacher, and he just wants him to appreciate English, but his life is a shambles, and he just he cannot infect them with this love of language, no matter what he does. He just doesn't have the Robin Williams touch, right, from Dead Poets. He doesn't have that thing going. And then Juliette Binoche is, shows up. She is a great artist from New York who now is crippled and uh, is relegated to basically just trying to instill that love of art into another generation, but she's got all her baggage as well. Yes, it's part kind of meet-cute and uh, uh, romantic comedy, but it has dark edges to it, and their relationship takes on this fascinating twist when they do this competition with the students. What's more powerful, words or pictures? And it's kind of a romantic duel between of them, but it's, it's also about art, about the power of art. And they're able to use this competition to instill this infectious love of, of, of creativity into these students. I mean, it is a magnificent movie. It clicks on every single uh, cylinder. And you know what? There's a quote here on, on the cover. Oh, it, what does geez. it say? What does that quote say? Uh, piece of crap, Wade Major. What's that quote say? One of the best films of the year, NPR. That, that's actually my quote. Is it really? <laughs> yeah, it is. It's my quote. My name is not attached to it because it was it was a film week, but it's yeah they 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 had to get approval. So I uh, yeah, that's how I know that. 
Um, but anyway, it's a it's a wonderful movie, and uh, it's it's a it's a terrific looking Blu-ray. They did a great job. Also has um, uh, the uh, digital HD deal on it. They got a few featurettes on here. A tremendous commentary with uh, Fred Skepsi. The behind the scenes thing is fine. It's not brilliant, but uh, the uh, the commentary is the, is the is the real deal. Skepsi is just so good. He's so good. He can be so good. He's so good. Uh, what's not so good is A Long Way Down. Uh, this is a uh, waste of good cast. It's uh, Pierce Brosnan, Tony Collette, Imogen Poots, and Aaron Paul, uh, the latter from Breaking Bad. This is about uh, these four guys. Uh, one's a TV host. The other is a single mom. And the other, uh, there's another one, too. There's like this foul-mouthed teen. And they all want to kill themselves on New Year's uh, Eve. So they mm-hmm. all go to the same place to go kill themselves. And, of course, they meet. It's, the, it's, it's like the ultimate meet-cute. Yep. Four people who want to commit suicide meeting cute on New Year's Eve. And so they all start to get, uh, they all start, they, they call it off and they decide to not kill themselves for a couple months. And then, of course, they all start talking and get to know each other. And, uh, you know, I have to say that this movie is terrible. It's, um, the problem with this movie, it was written by Nick Hornby, who's a terrific writer. He is a great writer, tremendous writer. Responsible for yeah. stuff like High Fidelity and whatnot. Um, it's just, I don't feel like this movie had any emotional credibility. It just, it was like a Hallmark greeting card. It's uh, it's it's a little preposterous, kind of at its face. Oh sure. look, we're all going to meet each other, killing ourselves at the same moment. That's fantastic. Then that's okay if you want to if if you want to thoroughly manufacture your setup, you better have some place pretty interesting to go. But it doesn't. It's just no. a pretty typical story. So uh, I'm not a big fan of A Long Way Down, although it does have a very good cast, may I say. So um, wait, I'm I'm getting some uh, uh, chocolate peanut butter uh, peanut butter ice cream, which I made, which you cannot eat. No, I can't. You cannot have I, chocolate I peanut have, butter ice cream. No, I can't. I can't okay, have peanut going. butter. I can't have peanut butter. Can't have peanut butter. So you good. know what I'm going to do? Uh, we have a ton of catalog titles and uh, DVR MOD titles to talk about. So I'm just while you're doing that, I'm going to rock and roll some uh, 20th Century Fox Cinema Archives titles. Uh, 20th Century Fox Cinema Archives titles are like the Warner Archive titles. They are uh, manufacturer on demand, otherwise known as MOD. You get them in pristine quality uh, DVD-Rs, uh, and uh, you're going to want to get some of these. Um, these are pretty much, for the most part, strictly for fans of old movies, people who are really into the whole nostalgia scene. None of these are amazing. Some of them are quite good. Uh, most of them are just uh, great nostalgia pieces. The Dion Quintuplets in Five of a Kind from 20th Century Fox uh, Cinema Archives. Uh, this is interesting just because we've completely forgotten about the Dion Quintuplets. Uh, this was back when, you know, movies at a certain B level were like, you know, like carnival attractions. Anything to put some kind of a freak show on the, uh, on the marquee and, and get people in there. And, uh, you know, the uh, Dion Quintuplets are genuinely a kind of a weird freak show. Um, so the, they're four and a half years old in this movie and not very good actors, but quite good performers, uh, I have to say. They, they kind of do it all. But the, what is interesting is the supporting cast. You, you have Claire Trevor, Gene Herschelt, of whom is named the Gene Herschelt Humanitarian Award, and uh, Cesar Romero, of all people. So uh, a young Cesar Romero along with these quintuplets, really, I felt like I was at the, uh, at the circus. Uh, you also have uh, Champagne Charlie, a movie that has long, long been forgotten. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's, a, you know, it's about a gambler, and it's, kind of, it's not really a crime film or whatever. It's, it's sort of an interestingly non-linear uh, whodunit in a way, I guess. Um, it, it's okay. It, it's not, not terrible, but it's very much a programmer from the era and uh, features you know, Paul Cavanaugh, Helen Wood, Thomas Beck, 
people who people have completely forgotten about, directed by James Tinling, just a straight-up programmer from the era. Uh, the Affairs of Cellini, I thought, was surprisingly good. I'd always heard about this, had never seen it. This is a Daryl Zanuck production starring Frederick March, who was a real big deal back in the day. Frederick March was, you know, uh, one of the great character actors of all time. And uh, this was directed by Gregory LaCava, who also was a bit of a big deal. And uh, this is the star, the, basically the story of uh, the Italian Renaissance sculptor Benvenuto Cellini. So you get this, you know, beautiful, beautiful depiction of Florence. It's all shot on backwoods and everything else. But uh, it's just really, it's a, it's a nice little uh, biopic from, uh, from the era. Uh, real quickly, you also have Sonia Henney, you know, uh, after she, she was the Norwegian uh, ice skating queen of, of the uh, 30s and 40s, and she, they tried to turn her into a, a bit of a movie star at a certain point. She wound up doing a whole bunch of mediocre movies that are okay. Uh, she's in Everything Happens at Night, along with Ray Milan and Robert Cummings. They do, the, uh, obviously, the, uh, the acting, and she will say a few cute things and then throw on uh, ice skates and do her thing. And people paid movie, paid money to see it. Uh, it's okay. So, uh, you know, everything else about it is sort of negligible. Uh, the Girl on the Bridge uh, is uh, another kind of straight-up programmer. Nobody of note in this, but it's decently acted. Bit of a, bit of a you know, standard melodrama from the day. Uh, we also have Air Patrol, if you're into the, uh, the old kind of action thing. Uh, this, this is... Kind of, a, kind of a cop film. Uh, also, nobody of any interest in that, really. Uh, Better is Gateway with Don Amici and Arlen Whelan. Um, uh, John Carradine shows up in this as well. You know, a decent cast of uh, character actors from the, uh, from the era. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's got a war angle to it. Uh, it's not, it, the film was made just before World War II started, so you kind of feel like World War II is bubbling over. Um, it's about a war correspondent who meets this uh, this young girl on a boat, and you know suddenly there's there's this uh, this whole kind of um, a bit of an intrigue before they get to Ellis Island, and it's 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 fine, it, it's satisfactory. Clara Bow in Call Her Savage uh, is a 1932 film where Clara Bow tried to make a move into uh, sound films, into talkies. Uh, never really worked for her. She was always like the darling of uh, of silence, and like so many others, she just couldn't quite make that uh, make that leap. Thelma Todd is in this as well. Gilbert Rowland, uh, all people who had a great career in silence and never quite made the jump. But that being said, uh, you know, as a as a kind of a poverty row melodrama, it it, it works on a certain level. Uh, then we've got uh, before I lose too much more time, we've got a movie called Fighting Back. Uh, which is about a uh, dishonorably or a, 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 a an honorably discharged soldier um, who um, has a bit of a shady past, and there's a you know this this follows him into private life. It's okay, I guess that was something that reflected a lot of what was happening at the time. Uh, Colonel Effingham's raid is uh, a better than average film. It stars Charles Coburn, Joan Bennett, and William Eighth. And uh, directed by Irving Paykel, who had a, a brief but very successful career at the time. Uh, this was made right after World War II, and it's about a, uh, this retired colonel who wants to uh, save the, his favorite square in a small town. So it's, uh, got, it wants to be a Frank Capra film, not, not quite that. And then the last couple here, we got the Jones family. Not quite quintuplets, but they are a family. And they're in Down on the Farm with a whole bunch of people you have never, ever heard of. The only reason they made this film 
is because there were a lot of people in America living on farms. This is when Ma and Pa Kettle were a big deal, and everybody decided we got to make a movie about farm folk, because farm folk go to see movies. They didn't go. Uh, and then lastly, the, uh, the really more recent film in this uh, is Alex and the Gypsy with Jack Lemmon and Jean-Vierre Bujold. And uh, this is a surprisingly enjoyable movie. It dates very poorly. Uh, it's got that whole kind of 70s groove factor on it. When Jack Lemmon got into the 70s, you know, Jack Lemmon and Charlton Heston had these great careers, like during the studio era. And then in the 1970s, suddenly they're like a little old and hairy and sweaty. You notice that? Yeah, but old, hairy, and sweaty work great in China Syndrome. They do. They do, don't they? And it, and it works well in, in uh, you know, Soylent Green and Omega Man and, and Planet of the Apes as well. But Heston never, here's the thing, though. I mean, you know, Jack Lemmon won an Oscar, Save the yeah. Tiger. He did movies during that era. Yeah. Heston, though, always stayed a little genre. He did. He, he did. never really had, like, that legit performance. Well, anyway, Alex and the Gypsy uh, is, uh, is an, it's an engaging tete-a-tete, I guess is the way to put it, between these two great actors. Look at me. The, 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 whole, the story, you know, directed by John Cordy, who's kind of a hack, but um, it's based on a novella by Stanley Elkin that I'd never heard of. But the one thing I really want to say about this is it's got a fantastic Henry Mancini score. Yeah. Great Henry Mancini music. So, so there's some really good stuff there from uh, the, uh, the Fox Cinema archives, all of them available only on demand, MOD, DVD-Rs. So go out and order these things if you want them to arrive in your, uh, your mailbox before Christmas. Okay. I don't know. I have nothing else to say. Go ahead. Are you doing those? No, no. This is done. This is it. Done. Okay. Moving. Got it. Uh, one of the more one of the odder transitions career-wise has been uh, Bobcat Goldthwait, who was a stand-up comic and a guy with a crazy voice, and now he's a director, and he directs these kind of self-financed... I, I missed this, so I'm dying to hear what you have to say. Poorly so financed movies that are really interesting, like, you know, um, uh, World's Greatest Dad, I thought was terrific. Which, which really was, is creepily good. It is really good. It's creepy good. He there was a he he kind of blew it with God Bless America, um, which I didn't see. But now he's back with the Willow Creek, which is uh, his take on the whole found footage Blair Witch Project thing. Yeah. And uh, here it's about a guy and a girl who go off searching for Bigfoot, which I guess Bigfoot uh, Goldthwaite was a big Bigfoot was a Bigfoot guy back when he was a kid. He loved Bigfoot, so he knows from whence he speaks in terms of this. It, 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 although he does seem ten years too late on this particular found con- found footage concept thing. Yeah, I'm going to say that if you divorce all of that from just the merits of the movie, this is probably, believe it or not, Bobcat's best directed film. There is a sequence. In right. the, there is a sequence in this movie. And I'm, I'm not a big fan of these horror films and found footage and whatever. I don't, I don't like that stuff. But there's a 20 minute uninterrupted take in this movie mm-hmm. where he uses sounds off camera, on camera. You know, he uses uh, uh, what he what he wants to show you, what he's not showing you. It is this bravura 20 minute uninterrupted take that is just will blow your mind. The kind of stuff it's you got so you, you got to rehearse 150 times That's right. to, to yeah. But it's by far the best thing he's ever directed. Interesting. And put together just as a filmmaker, yeah. he, he he had it all he had the visuals figured out, he had the audio figured out, he had the, uh, the the performances, he knew what he wanted to do. It's less about I have this point to make about uh, father, I have this point to make about him. Yes. See, I always I always enjoy things like that, not because I enjoy the gimmickry of it, but I, what I enjoy when that's executed well is the fact that the that this is a director who wants to do something a little bit more like what directors do with the stage. 
You know, you can't, when you're making a movie, you're, you're shooting coverage, you shoot this, and you, you make things work in little, you know, 30 and 40 minute, or 40 second increments or one or two minute increments. You just make, you're, you're making the bites work. And when you're staging something for an audience on Broadway, it starts and it goes and it's continuous and everybody's got to know their lines and everybody's got to make their entrances and their exits in real time and the lights have to be cued and the sound and the backdrops and everything has just got to be like clockwork. And when a filmmaker tries to integrate that level of, of acuity in their work, I, it's, I, I appreciate the effort. Especially here in this sort of yeah. a movie. Yeah. So I, I have to say that if, if this film came out before Blair Witch or was part of that whole found footage phenomenon, this might have done very, very well for him. Yeah. But now, of course, he's 10 years too late on it. But the good news is that it's self-financed, costs him nothing, should get a bunch of horror people to, to watch it, probably will turn a profit, and hopefully he can make something with a little bit of a budget. Yeah. Uh, so I'm surprised. Uh, I'm happy for him. So it's really, it's, it's not my kind of thing, but I have to say it's very well done. He, you can tell he loves Bigfoot. He's taking it seriously. There's some great, there's, there's some great uh, sequences that are put together very yeah. professionally, more, more professionally than anything he's ever done. So I will uh, give this a, uh, I'll give this a thumbs, a thumbs sideways. I'm going to go out on a limb right now, and I'm going to say Bobcat is going to someday fully crank it all the way. And we are going to see Bobcat Goldthwait, a quadruple Oscar nominee, acting, directing, writing, and producing. He's going to join Orson Welles and Warren Beatty in that club for Shakes the Clown 2, The Meth Years. I hated Shakes I, the Clown. I, I hated that movie. I know you did. The meth years. The meth years. Anyway, speaking of meth, you'll need to take a lot of meth to get yourself through Blended. Oh, jeez. Which is uh, Drew Barrymore and uh, Adam Sandler. And this is a story about uh, people who do stuff. Uh, like, do, do you really want me to talk about Blended? Uh, you know, it, look, it's, it, they've made movies before. And hopefully they'll never make movies and hopefully again. Hopefully they'll never do them again. This, kind of, this sort of killed the idea that that's a, that's a magical... Uh, alchemical combination of stars. It's not. It's a piece of crap. I'm oh. not going to talk about it. I refuse. Okay. If you, you can talk about it if you want. Well, I, I, I didn't see it. I mean, it's. Uh, I, I just saw the billboards and I just thought that's a. That's a. It's slaps, tragic. It's, you know, it's it's like it tries to be silly with the ostrich flying around, and then it tries to be sentimental. And I'm sorry, Adam Sandler, sentimental, not buying it. But it also, it's just you know what? There's something. The culture has moved beyond his sense of humor. You know, it's 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 not that it's juvenile. It's that there's something trite about I mean without even seeing it I could just tell you know I, I once upon a time movies like Up in the Air you remember Up in the Air sure the, 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 the Kevin Bacon he goes to Africa to find the big uh, the big tall guy and turn him into a basketball he's like a basketball scout uh, I, I thought big... you meant Jason Reitman's up oh there. no no not that no no it's uh, 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 the air up there the air up there the air up there that's what it was <laughs> Up in the Air the air up there where he goes he goes to Africa finds that African dude I'm going to turn you into a basketball star and treating Africa like this quaint continent to mine it for all kinds of sort of obvious humor that's not politically correct anymore right and I, and I don't think it, it's a, even a racial thing I think it's because now people are aware of the fact that you've got like girls being kidnapped and raped and people are you know being slaughtered in Sudan and Somalia and they're like there's so much misery in Africa it's such, it's, it's, there are so many countries that are in upheaval, and you see so much tragedy there as a, as a result of social media, especially with all of this stuff that's going on in Nigeria, that I, I, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's much harder to sort of have, you know, a couple of pygmies come out of the bush with big smiles on their faces, like step and fetch it, and, you know, oh, isn't that cute and quaint? It's Africa. I don't think that, that flies anymore because we are now so much more aware of what a tragic place it is. Uh, s- certainly the, the, the cycle is... Yeah. 
is, is so. trending against the, that sort of humor. Now, eventually, in 10 years, once, uh, once that part of the world is totally peaceful... Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll, go back to, to, we'll go back to making fun of them. Yeah, as long as we pay them a whole lot of money. And, that is true. Uh, yeah, there you go. You know, they came together. They did? Who did? Paul Rudd and Amy Poehler. And you would think, oh, they're so funny. That is just going to be... That's, like, awesome. No, because... You see, Drew Barrymore and Adam Sandler came together as well, and that had been funny before, and that wasn't funny this time. And by the same token, somehow, this just doesn't work. Uh, this, is a, this is what should have been a, a terrific little kind of comedy, but I just don't... It, it like, I'm, I'm sure the people who made this film, uh, David Wayne directed it, not terribly familiar with David Wayne, but uh, you know, I, I've, like, I'm, I'm loosely familiar with David Wayne, uh, but for some reason, this just, you know, I'm, I'm always willing to cut people slack. If I've seen one or two of their films, I'd be like, oh, okay, you know, let's see if you can do something different next time. But I, I don't know. There's just something here that this doesn't, uh, why, how you can put these two people on screen together and not have it just be magical, I don't understand. I don't get it. Uh, Paul Rudd amuses me in almost every single thing that he does, and Amy Poehler. Don't you feel like Paul Rudd needs to do something else? Don't you feel like Paul Rudd does the same movie every time? Uh, yeah, kind of. Yeah, kind Can of. You, I mean, that's why Ant-Man should be interesting. Ant-Man I feel like be... it's the first thing he's done that's not like he's the 40-year-old single guy who's uncomfortable in crowds I mean, here's the thing. He does. Here's the thing. Like, like, David Wayne, just so people know, Wet Hot American Summer started his career. Okay, that was, and I think that was kind of a fluke. Uh, and then Role Models, I enjoyed. There's right? funny stuff in that. Role Models is a very funny film, and Paul Rudd is hilarious in it. Wanderlust is kind of a mess. Uh, it's Paul Rudd again, sort of a mess. So it's like, uh, well, you know, what's going to happen here? And I don't think Wayne is, has any kind of a trademark. I don't think he puts his stamp on movies or anything. But um, for some reason, this just doesn't, I don't know. Anyway. Speaking of on. anyway, uh, Mom's Night Out is a uh, horribly unfunny uh, comedy about uh, three single mothers who, uh, you know, want to, uh, d- d- want to go out and have a good time and be recognized sure for the normal people that they are. Sure they do. So this is just really horrible. This thing needed just a page one rewrite. This is just ridiculous. The, the, the cast is nothing. Sarah Drew, Sean Astin, who cares? Patricia Heaton, yay. Mm-hmm. And Trace Atkins, who's like a country music star for some reason. Yeah. Um, oh, just, did, did the Atkins diet, right? Exactly. Trace Atkins? No, that was yeah. Patricia Heaton. She did the Heaton diet. And Sean uh-huh. Astin did the Aston diet. And then Sarah Drew did the Drew diet. Uh-huh. It's all coming together. Sean, Sean Astin, we're going we're gonna to get to in a minute, too, because... Uh, Oh, you'll see. Oh, you'll see. Oh, yeah. And this thing is shrill. It's a, just a big, long sitcom. It's a, it's, it's, to be honest, it's kind of for the faith-based crowd. So, right. you know, it's not going to be very edgy humor, and which might be part of its problem. You know, because something like Date Night. Like, remember Date Night yeah. with Tina Fey and see yeah. how bad that was? Yeah. Where you just wanted that film to go full-on after hours. Full-on Scorsese after hours. Yeah, but it did Some dark, crazy places. Now, this film, you don't ex- Mom's Night Out, you don't, you don't expect that. It's, it's for the faith-based crowd. Yeah. But even given that low bar, shrill, not funny, ridiculous, pass on it. Speaking of movies for the faith-based crowd, do you know about the, uh, the identical? Have you been following that whole thing? I, I, I have a theory as to why that movie <laughs> bombed. <laughs> because it stinks. Well, I didn't no, see it. I, 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 just I, read, I just read the reviews, and I just thought, that's a plot? Like, somebody said, let's... No, no. And Quality they, is they, not an issue. And they got no. Ray Liotta and, and Ashley Judd to be in the... How? No, no. What? First, for, first of all, for the hardcore faith-based crowd, quality is not an issue. But what I'm saying is that the reason why... I'll tell you why it, uh, it, it bombed. It bombed because of the title. The faith-based crowd, they want their movies to be called God is Not Dead. 
the wonderful people of Wonderful Land. Like, the identical is too, like, it's too out there. Like, they gotta it's figure a, out what it is. They don't really know. I didn't know. It's, a, it's, it's about Elvis. Like, I didn't even know that Elvis had a twin brother that died, that was stillborn. Like, there were almost two of them. <laughs> And, and, and this is like, what if he weren't stillborn? And if they'd, he'd, he'd been given to a traveling salesman who would raise him, and he never knew that he was Elvis's brother, and he grew up to become a great Elvis impersonator. And I'm reading this, and I'm like, really? Honestly? Seriously? Like, that sounds like a Twilight Zone episode that, that somebody would have axed in development. That doesn't sound like a movie that actually makes its way to the screen. But anyway. All right. Cabin Fever, Patient Zero, The Birth of Fear. Uh, Cabin Fever, Patient Zero is, of course, a prequel to uh, Cabin Fever, which was the, the low-budget horror film that, of course, launched... Uh, uh, it's not Drew God or the other guy. Yeah, uh, exactly. yeah, yeah. Um, you know, from uh, uh, Inglorious Bastards. I'll think of it. What, the director? Yeah, we interviewed him. Oh, yeah, the, the Eli Roth. Eli Roth, thank you. That <laughs> uh, was a sterling interview that we had with By Eli By the Roth. way, can I say something which we have not talked about this? Yeah. You guys need to go to Aura.TV. Oh, yeah. Because they have uh, posted, I'll remind you of this at the end of the show. Sure. They posted old Stupid for Movie episodes. That vintage. Vintage, I know. They weren't vintage There's, when we shot them, but it took them forever to put them up. But it, it's a little frustrating because, you know, for Aura, they're like, well, if enough people watch it, we can why relight new episodes. But, but, but producer Mike was like, why is anyone going to watch episodes of us talking about 18-month-old movies? It's not going to happen. Things just don't move very quickly over there. So what I'm saying is, is that if you just go on there, uh, uh, give it a click, leave a comment, uh, uh, try to be nice, yeah. we might be able to get these guys to uh, maybe greenlight some new episodes. You can see how fat Wade's become. Uh, I'm fat and strung out, I think, are the words that you used. And I was like, if you're strung out, though, you're like a heroin addict. No, that just you... means you're on drugs. Oh, okay. You can be fat and strung out. When I think of strung out, it's like you're strung out, right? You're you're thin, you're emaciated. Uh, you look pretend. like uh, don't you, pretend like you know what it's like. Like to be Christian Bale in the in the in the machinist. Okay, so anyway, Patient Zero, Cabin Fever, Patient Zero. It's a prequel. It's about how that virus started, that horrible flesh-eating, zombie-inflicting thing. And um, two things are going on here. You got a bunch of kids who are uh, like going to do this little Caribbean boating getaway, right? Some some girls and some guys, and they're going to do the oh yeah, we're going to do a little, little flesh action. No, not that kind of flesh action. Just you wait. And next thing you know, people are getting sores and limbs are dropping off and there's like dead fish and then body parts in the ocean and they're they're, they're at an island and they're freaking out. And then, of course, the island is where the, the, the thing starts. And you cut back and forth between that and whatever horrible laboratory experiment is going on in this, this Caribbean island where they've isolated this guy who apparently has an immunity to it. He's patient zero. His family's, you know, dead and... His kids died in his arms, and, this, and that's Sean Astin. And I don't know why Sean Astin did this, because this is a horrible, low-budget, really not scary movie. It just tries to gross you out. It's really stupid. And um, there's one bit in here in particular that is supposed to be either funny or horrific, and it winds up just being incredibly disgusting in bad taste. Uh, when, when this one girl is getting the flesh-eating virus. There's a guy, one of the guys that's trying to get it on with her. I won't tell you what goes on, but there's an actual sexual event, and you see the aftermath of it, and it's not scary. It's not horrifying. It's just, are you kidding me? Nobody at any point in making this film raised their hand and said, I really don't think you should go there. Don't go there. For the love of everything, don't go there. No one said that? Apparently not. 
horrible movie. Uh, Blu-ray and DVD combo. Uh, I, I just can't recommend this on any way, on any level whatsoever. Do we have to do all those? I'm going to plow through this. This is this is an easy one. This is an easy we're, one. We're coming to so, the end here. No, yeah, get 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 going with that. Uh, uh, God's movie. Pocket is one of uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's uh, final films, and uh, it's not uh, it's not a great movie. It's um, Hoffman plays this guy whose stepson is killed in a construction accident, quote unquote accident. So he has to decide what to do with the body, yeah, and then yeah, uh, this. Yeah. Uh, this reporter, played by um, what's his name? Uh, I forgot his name. This reporter, played by uh, the guy uh, Richard Jenkins, the guy from uh, yeah, you know, sure. Oscar-nominated Richard Jenkins. Yeah, uh, he shows up and threatens to uncover what really happened in this accident. It's essentially a small town movie about stupid people trying to cover up their crime and being called out for their stupidity. And it was directed by uh, John Slattery. Oh, yeah. The guy who's um, in uh, Mad Men. Right. This is his first uh, film. And so uh, I have to say that I think that you can see why Slattery might like this kind of like kind of a – it's very much like a gritty small town, almost like a uh, – um, uh, you know, like un- un- underground criminal activity sort of film, like the mafia, like the yeah. small town mafia type sure. film. But in the end, it just never really comes to life. And I never really cared about anybody in it. And, you know, they do it. It looks nice. You know, it's got it looks very 70s, like very sort of like everyone's sort of like lower middle class, you mm-hmm. know. So it's got a good sense of atmosphere. But um, and it's really well shot by the same guy who did um, Lost in Translation. But uh, all the characters are too sketchily written for me, and uh, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't really care about the characters. So I would pass on God's Pocket unless you really, 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 really love. And I don't blame you if you do. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, you know, John Slattery used to have uh, red hair. Did you know that? Here we go. He used to have red hair, but he, but he changed it because in high school he got tired of people calling him uh, the the Copper Top Slattery. Okay, moving on. Oh my god. Moving that's, on. I know. It's like weird humor, right? Wow. It's like, it's so far but out that's there. That's how brilliant it is. Brilliant it's is just weird. Just way out there. You know what? We're going to revisit that joke in 25 years. It'll be seen as genius. So, uh, Louder Than Words is a release from uh, Arc Entertainment. It was out theatrically briefly as well, not too many weeks ago. I talked about it on the radio. That's how I know that. And uh, it's out on DVD this week. It has a terrific cast. Didn't really get a lot of exposure other than this, and I do urge people to go check this out. It's got a little bit of a TV movie vibe to it. David Duchovny and Hope, da- Hope Davis play this couple um, who, uh, you know, he, she has uh, triplets, and they got together and had another kid of their own, and I, won't, I, I don't want to give anything away. It's a true story. Uh, he's a developer in this story, and there's an illness that afflicts the family that becomes this catalyzing event and it's the, it winds up becoming the true story about how this incredible hospital was established as a result of this tragedy. And you have to see the movie. Uh, it, it's really good. It's really well acted. One of the best things I've ever seen David Duchovny do. It's so nice to see Hope Davis again. I love Hope Davis. She's terrific in it. Uh, Timothy Hutton shows up uh, later on in the movie. It's wonderful. I, I just th- the more I think about it, the more I like it. And then, uh, unfortunately, Go for Sisters is yet another kind of semi-misfire for John Sayles. John Sayles has not made a great film since, like, since the early 90s. There was, he, he had kind of, well, it, even beyond then, it's like it, it was sort of in the last 10, 15 years is when he just ran aground. He had Eight Men Out, and he had you know, City of Hope, and I mean, there were all these great... Oh, John movies. Sayles? Yeah. It's just, over. It's over. He had so many good films in a row. Mate One, it was oh, just like, it was terrible. you know, Passion Fish. I mean, it was just, remember that run? That oh, was he was great. incredible run. He Lone was one Star. of the great independent directors of the time. 
And then he's just been laying eggs for like, you know like a decade. Because all he does is just use his characters to spout his politics. There's no story. There's no, there's no characters know. involved. It's just terrible. I, 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 he was a hero of mine back in the day because he was one of the great independent directors of, of, of his time. Yeah, wow. And now it's, it's, it's over. Well, anyway, the story here is, is basically that um, this, this basically a woman, um, her son goes missing somewhere in Mexico. And in order to find him, she basically has to, you know, go get this friend of hers who they've gone on different paths. They have to kind of, you know, they go down there together and then they hire Edward James Olmos, who's an old lawman who's now kind of a a hired gun to try to figure out what happened to him. And it, it all tries to make a comment about crime on the other side of the border and illegal immigration. And there are a lot of things going on here. And it never really hangs together. I think, I think he's hoping that the whole idea is that Edward James Olmos will somehow be really brooding and heavyweight and he'll speak in that low, grumbly, gravelly hush that he does and kind of bring a level of gravitas to everything that's not naturally there. And he tries to do that, but it just doesn't. It, it's, I don't know, it just feels like it, there's an idea here in search of a script. And I, I just, I, it, it feels like John Sales is losing a little bit of his passion. Um... I never well maybe in this film I, I, I did see know. him losing his passion. What I found what I what I find is that he's not using he's not using fully fleshed out characters and an interesting story in True. order to get that passion out I there. Agree. Now it's just all about he's just proselytizing his uh, politics through his yeah. movies. Uh, we have two from uh, Jesse Eisenberg and then Wade's gonna go through all those movies and we have a Vox box. Yes, we do have a Vox box. And then we're done, Wade. Yes, I have to eat more. Well, have we got we chocolate. actually actually we we got uh, we got a couple of. Criterions to talk about, too. All right, we have Night Moves. This is the latest from uh, Kelly uh, Reichart, who is uh, the incredibly talented uh, director of Old Joy and Meek's Cutoff. This one has uh, Jesse Eisenberg and uh, Dakota Fanning and Peter Skarsgård as uh, three environmentalists who want to blow up a dam. Now, this is not what you think it is. Um, yes, you do see them by the boat that they're going to use to blow up the, the, the drive to the dam with. You see them buying the little parts for the bomb. But it's really not about that. It's about the three of them, why they came together, the various contours of their relationship. This is Kelly Reichardt. Almost, this is almost her version of a, you know, of, of crime thriller. Yeah. And she does it exactly as you would you would hope. You know, it's the, the it's very austere, and it's just very sort of simply presented. Yet there's still a lot of stuff going on. Um, it's just, it's it's just a great threesome. So I would highly recommend Night Moves. The other one is uh, the double. Now I'm, I have to say I have not. I'm not really the hugest fan of Jesse Eisenberg. I just maybe it's the voice. Maybe I just don't like his voice. But I do like the double, which by the way is a lot better than the double starring uh, starring um, Richard Gere a couple years ago. Anyway, um, this is a really interesting film directed by that guy whose name I can never pronounce, Richard A. A. O. Wade. Oh, Aoda, Aoda, yeah, that guy, yeah, yeah. Who's who's a good actor, but he's a great director. Um. I don't particularly like this film, but but I loved Submarine. Thought Submarine was awesome. Submarine was good. Fantastic. This is not in that same week. Really, you don't think so? Nah. I mean, it's very bleak. It's very bleak, and it's very it's um it's fascinating, and it's too bleak, many, and it's striking. And uh, I thought it was an interesting movie. Uh, too many doppelganger movies within too short a period of time. But this is one of those like old school like interior doppelganger movies where it's it's not yeah. like an actual. It, it's you know what? It's almost like another Earth. Where it's I not guess. about an actual other person. It's just about what it all means. I didn't like him. Another Earth either. You didn't like that movie? No. You had your mind. Anyway, uh, The Double's good. It's got, a good uh, it's got a couple good special features, including a behind-the-scenes uh, thing, an interview with the director. And, uh, yeah, Wade didn't like it. I did The Double. All right. Groovy. 
Um, okay, so I'm going to blow through some Warner Archive titles right now. Uh, thanks to listener John Lusty. Thank you, John. I want to give a shout-out to John Lusty. John Lusty sent us an email and said, uh, hey, why don't you guys interview the uh, Warner Archives dudes? They do a podcast, and they overlap, and they have the same attitude. And I was like, good idea. So I reached out. It's been scheduled. Taking place. Uh, it has? It has been scheduled. So in a couple of weeks, we will have that, uh, that interview with, the, uh, with at least one of the guys in charge of Warner Archive. And uh, so here's what we got. We've got a couple of gr- uh, Blu-rays here. They do not do these often. A couple of great Blu-rays from Warner Archive, the uh, Warner Archive collection, usually an MOD deal, like the, uh, the Archive Classics from 20th Century Fox. In this case, we got Blu-rays. One of them is Out of the Past with Robert Mitchum and Jane Greer. Fantastic yeah. noir. Classic, amazing noir that was uh, remade into what movie? Oh, Against All Odds. Damn right. Uh, they're both great, though. <laughs> you didn't think I knew that, did you? I knew you knew that. So, I guess a lot is great in its own way, uh, yeah, but this, this is great is, in its yeah, own this way. This is Mitchum and his Mitchumiest. Oh, it is. I love it? Mitchum. He's oh, the best. So that guy good. was such a badass. So good. He was just so, that guy was just so hard boiled. But it, the, the, the movie is hard boiled, right? It's just, it's, you know, it, Jacques Tourneur brings like that, that European kind of uh, too, too smart for the room thing. Like, noirs are usually gritty, they're not sort of polished and. Kind of, this gets in your blood, man. It's really, really good. And it's got a commentary by uh, James Orsini, who, of course, does lots of commentaries, and they're all fantastic. And uh, it's a gorgeous Blu-ray. Beautiful, beautiful noir rendering. Uh, I wish it weren't an archive thing. But the other one, this makes me happy. The freaking great race, Mark. The great freaking race. Blake, Ed- <laughs> Blake Edwards nailing it in the great race. Uh, people often see this, and they're like, oh, man, that was, I, I love Terry Thomas in that movie. And I'm like, Terry Thomas wasn't in The Great Race. Yeah, he was. He was no, that's Jack Lemmon. That was Jack Lemmon basically doing Terry Thomas, or Jack Lemmon doing Terry Thomas doing Snidely Whiplash. You can take it either way that you want, but it's Snidely Whiplash without Muttley, or it's, you know, Jack Lemmon. It's just great. Uh, it is a wacky, nutty response to Around the World in 80 Days, and it's just, it's, it's you know... It's Tony Curtis and Natalie Wood uh, driving their, their you know, respective wacky cars, and uh, Jack Lemmon is the villain, and the whole thing is about uh, wacky cars going around the world. And if you've ever seen the Wacky Races cartoon, it is a complete takeoff of, of this movie. Um, this has some of the best slapstick you will ever see in a movie. It is totally overwrought. It is candy-colored and ridiculous, and I love every single solitary second of it. It is on Blu-ray. It is a happy freaking day, Mark. The Great Race. Woo! All right, here, here go the rest of these in, uh, in, a sh- in a quick shot. Volume 4 of The Bowery Boys, 12 more films. People are thinking, what, The Bowery Boys? Who are they and what are all the-? They made a ridiculous number of movies, and they were so hot for a moment, and then everything just dropped off. Uh, Joe E. Brown is one of the just awesome, awesome film comedic presences of Nobody's all time. Nobody's perfect. That's it. He gets a great part and, the, and maybe one of the greatest lines of all time, certainly the greatest closing line of all time in Some Like It Hot, but he had a great career before that. Uh, he's, he's with Ginger Rogers and uh, Preston Foster in uh, You Set a Mouthful. Uh, he, he is hysterically funny in Elmer the Great. Uh, which was directed by the great Mervyn Leroy. And he's also really, really good in Local Boy Makes Good, uh, also directed by Mervyn Leroy. Uh, all of these are from Warner Archive. He's just the lovable loser. He's, this, he's, you know, he, he's, a, he's one step removed from um, Buster Keaton and uh, in a really entertaining way. I mean, he kind of takes the silent comic and he pushes it an extra level. He almost could be a Marx brother in some respects. But anyway, these are all just wonderful, wonderful movies. 
And then we've got uh, a couple with a little bit of a, uh, a religious angle to them, uh, not in any way alike. One is Lolly Madonna, and the other one is Nasty Habits. Uh, Nasty Habits is a comedy that was directed by Michael Lindsay Hogg, who had very, very few films to his, uh, to his, his credit, but uh, this is one of the few that's certainly worth, uh, worth a, a quick mention. Um, it, is a, it is a very unusual story that takes place in a convent, and uh, it's meant to be kind of, and it's, uh, it's basically about Watergate. It's sort of about, you know, Watergate, if it were, it's an al- a Watergate allegory set with nuns in a, in a convent. It's a very strange movie, but uh, kind of, you know, interesting in, in that political context. Uh, Lolly Madonna, Triple X, is really, as other than the title, doesn't have anything to do with religion, but it's got a great cast. And it's uh, directed by uh, Richard Serapian, who is the father of all the other Serapians, Teddy Serapian and, you know, all those guys. They've, they've been making B-movies for a while. The original Richard Serapian, who also was a pretty great character actor on his own, who uh, has shown up in a few films of late before he passed away. Uh, David Lynch directed him in, uh, in I think it was uh, the last Twin Peaks movie. Anyway... Uh, great performances here from a, uh, an, an aging Rod Steiger, an aging Robert Ryan, a young Jeff Bridges, and uh, Susan Hubley as in the title part of Lolly Madonna. It's, you know, it's, it's a Western. It's, uh, it's a kidnap movie. It's a feud movie. Gary Busey even pops in here along with Randy Quaid, and it's great. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's, a certain, it's, kind of that, it's got that 70 vibe that everybody's always loving. Mark, how close are you? Uh, I'm almost. Come on, we we I, we need you back here. We got we got to finish off with the Criterion's here in a moment. Uh, anyway, Gary Cooper in the uh, Adventures of Marco Polo. This was a Samuel Goldwyn film that was uh, you know kind of it's it's a little it's a little silly, but it's it's a you know it's a, it's Marco Polo. What do you want? I mean, it's the story of Marco Polo. It's not like the 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 TV miniseries, but it's the story of Marco Polo, and it's fine. Uh, and uh, you also have another Samuel Goldwyn film here, uh, Enchantment from the Samuel Goldwyn classics, which are now being released through the Warner Archives. Um, directed by Irving Rice, who is a very good director, but beautifully photographed by none other than the legendary Greg Toland, who of course did Citizen Kane and uh, takes, doesn't take the credit that he should for a lot of those, uh, a lot of those uh, great uh, Orson Welles movies. Uh, and basically it's just a lovely performance by David Niven and Teresa Wright. You want to see both of them, Farley Granger and Jane Meadows, a lot of other great, great actors show up in this thing, but... It's all about David Niven and Teresa Wright. I love Teresa Wright in absolutely everything. Uh, David Niven is lovely in just about anything, so you can't lose. And it's, uh, it's a World War II romance movie. Don't need to know any more about that. And then if you've ever heard of Raffles, the Raffles films uh, have been remade a number of times. They are essentially uh, sophisticated caper films, and they're wonderful. And David Niven, uh, David Niven again with Olivia de Havilland in uh, in uh, one of them, and uh, Ronald Coleman in the other one, and uh, those are some great actors. So if you want to see basically the same story told two different ways, uh, it's pretty great. Uh, you know, it's it's this whole kind of gentleman thief stuff, and it's it's really good stuff. It's really good. So uh, Ronald Coleman and David Niven playing uh, the same part in the two different Raffles movies. Um, Mark, let's, uh, well, you know what, we'll, we'll finish off, I'll let you ramble about that, and I'm going to cover these two cri- Criterion titles. Well, we, we, we have a, um, a Vox Box. We do have a Vox Box, so let's... That. Uh, Star Trek The Compendium, now this is uh, Star Trek, uh, this is J.J. Abrams' two Star Trek films, these are uh, 
all put together in one. Now, there's, of course, a lot of uh, controversy about this because, you know, we the two are already available, and what are we getting new here that we didn't have in the other ones? And uh, I'm sorry. I don't really care what they put in, in the new ones. Uh, if you already own the uh, the original Star Trek um, J.J., you know, um, J.J., Movies? Yeah. Do you really need to get these unless you must have it in like a black and silver box set? Uh, yeah, I'm thinking not. So you know, uh, I would just uh, I would just pass on this. If you already have it, you don't have to get it. Sorry, you don't. I mean, if you really want the extra stuff that's on here, you know, I mean, I think that um, part of this came about because when JJ's original film came out on Blu-ray. There was yes. an exclusive here. There was an exclusive there. This this place got these extras. This this Best Buy or whatever Walmart got these other extras, and people got pretty pissed off at that as well. They should. So now he's kind of trying to make amends to that. So um, I don't know, man. I'm not sure I would want to uh, uh, reward them for finally correcting their mistake. But if you really want all the extras, you got no other choice. So it's up to you. Um, as for me, uh, I already have the other two, and I'll I'll just stick with those. Shohei Imamura uh, is a, a Japanese director who typically does really nice, lovely, humanistic movies, but he occasionally will go into that dark place that other Japanese directors go, he, he, the, the Takashi Miike area. And in this case, uh, Vengeance is Mine from um, uh, 1979 is uh, pretty brutal. And we get a Criterion Collection, uh, Criterion Collection Blu-ray release of this. Uh, not Blu-ray and DVD. We're now beyond that. This, this has been on DVD before, but uh, this is a strictly Blu-ray-only release now. And, uh, man, this film is just so brutal, and it is just so disturbing, and it's so tweaked. It's about a guy, it's a true story, uh, this guy who, who came from a really good background and then uh, just, just started brutally murdering people over the course of 78 days. Crazy stuff, man. Uh, but anyway, great, great audio commentary from the original DVD release on here by Tony Raines. And a lot of other really good extras, uh, 1999 interview with uh, the director, and um, a few other things. So that's uh, an excellent, excellent Criterion release. And then what I've been waiting for from the, since the day I was born, yeah, Blu-ray and DVD, dual format release of all that jazz. We talked about Bob Fosse earlier, who uh, stole a little bit of Coppola's Thunder in 1972 when The Godfather could have won everything, but then uh, Cabaret took some of the bigger awards like director. Uh, Bob Fosse... Similarly, you know, all that jazz won uh, the uh, the Palm d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival. Bizarre. In in like successive years, there was all that jazz and uh, 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 Apocalypse Now winning the Palm d'Or, and then they were both wound up being released the same year uh, in in the United States and got were up against each other in uh, 1979. I think it was. It was 1979 for uh, for the Oscars. And I remember all that jazz so upset me at the time. Because I wanted Star Trek Motion Picture to win all three of the Oscars it was nominated for. One of which was Art and Set Direction. And I thought, how can any other movie compete? And then all that jazz wound up winning. And I was like, what? That movie with all the confetti and the paper mache and the guy dancing? What the hell? And, of course, then I was older and I saw the movie and I was like, that's amazing. It's uh, autobiographical, uh, autobiographical, of course. Bob Fosse kind of putting all of his demons into Roy Scheider in an incredibly imaginative movie that no studio would have the guts to make today. You agree? Uh, are you kidding me? There's no conceivable way a studio would greenlight this today. That is a tragedy. It is a loss for everyone. So screw the Chinese for liking so many of our bad movies that they're not giving them any incentive to make movies like this. Um, this is amazing. And uh, tons of great stuff on here. The transfer will blow your mind. It will blow your mind. The sound will blow your ears. This is uh, like reference standard stuff. This should go whatever shelf you put all of your A-lists on. 
put this one right up there with Thin Red Line and all the rest. It is, it is just top-notch. Everybody should own all that jazz in the dual format, Blu-ray and DVD release from Criterion. Mark. I didn't get a, I didn't get a breath there, but I'm going to keep doing it. Hi, Mark and Wade. It's Cheryl Dixon. And this past episode, you guys talked about old biblical epics. And I got me thinking about the two biblical films this year. Noah and Exodus this December, and though the Oscars are way out, do you think Aiden will hit big with the Academy? And also, do you think Exodus can finally give Ridley Scott a win? Because he has been off his game for a while. Do you think this will be his, you know, big film, his achievement, or will it be just another in a long line of disappointments? Keep up the good work. Thanks. Thank you, Chevelle. Uh, and and uh, by the way, send your box boxes and emails to gods at digigods.com, gods mm-hmm. at digigods.com, or visit us on the, on the Facebook page. Just search on Digigods. Uh, in answer to this, uh, I don't think Noah stands a chance of getting any Oscar nominations. That, that's the just... only reason why it would, which of course didn't happen, is if Noah wound up starting this whole wave or conversation about biblical epics and they greenlit another five of them, yeah. and it was a worldwide phenomenon. I, I think that the Academy would want to reward that. But in the end, no, which was, I think, a brave and interesting film. Uh, I, it didn't I, do that well, and it didn't start any sort of a conversation. It was, it was too religious to be taken seriously, and it was too commercial to be taken religiously. And it, it kind of bonked its audience. It, just, it, walked, it tried to walk a line that I, I, I think is ultimately unsuccessful. So I, I think no is completely out of the question. That's, that doesn't even, that's a non-starter. Exodus, we have to wait and see it. Um, but uh, it, you know what? At, at this point, it, it's, it's going to wind up being one of those, you know, Al Pacino sure. kind of things. Where do is does the Academy feel like we well, got to give it to him before he retires or dies? Look, it's his time. Look, if if Exodus is is viewed, this is what it's going to come down to. First of all, it's weird casting. I got to got to be honest. John, uh, Christian Bale as as Moses just feels like really. I mean, Charlton Heston really. I, I don't I don't get it. And then you know what's his face is as as. Adam Sandler? No, as as uh, as Pharaoh. The, Adam Sandler? No, you know what's his name? Joel uh, Edgerton. Yes. That's just bizarre because he stepped in at the last minute after uh, who who was it that fell out? Somebody was originally cast. I have no in that. idea. Well, somebody else originally cast in that part, so he was kind of a la- an afterthought. I, 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 here's the thing. Here's what it's going to come down to. Uh, it'll first it'll come down to whether the movie's any good. It, it, I mean, it has to be good. Uh, if it's if it's like another Robin Hood crap thing, then people are just going to be like, Ridley's lost it. You know, he's just wasted somebody's two hundred million dollars. But if people are going to compare it to the Ten Commandments, which is by all accounts a horrible movie, look, I loved it growing up. Still watch it, you know, as much as I can tolerate every Easter. You know, I, yes, it, it fine. It's an American tradition, and it's one of the five most successful films of all time. If you look at tickets sold and take inflation into account and all that stuff. However, it's a terrible movie. Cecil B. DeMille just did a terrible job with it. The whole thing is shot on sound stages, and it's just, it's just it's hokey. You know, you got Edward G. Robinson, yeah, Moses. You know, you got Ann Baxter, Moses. It's like melodramatic crap. Um, my father taught John Derrick, okay, who plays Joshua in it, and he, Josh, he's horrible. I remember my father, when I was a kid, he'd watch it, and he, his, his head in his hands is like, did I teach you nothing? It's a terrible movie, but it's a beloved movie. So if Exodus is compared to the Ten Commandments and people say, wow, it's not even as entertaining as that terrible movie, then it's not going to be in there. But if people feel like 
finally somebody took the Ten Commandments story and did what DeMille didn't and like gave it gravitas and found those little those interesting little moral areas in it and didn't just try to please the you know the literal biblical crowd and really tried to kind of find something different in it then I think it might have a shot but it's entirely in the treatment and the only and it's not really Scott that I'm, I put my faith in it's Steve Zalian so We'll see what Steve Zalian has done with the script and how much latitude he's had. He hasn't written anything super killer in a long time. So if that Schindler's List gene is still working in him, it could be something impressive. If that gene is still working in him, I, I it would be weird that Ridley Scott would be the one to really give that script full flower. Yeah. You can see Spielberg giving Schindler's List full flower, but I don't sure. know that... You know, here's my amazing, well, beautiful, wonderful script, Ridley Scott, director of Aliens. Here, take it. <laughs> Make it amazing. It's going to look good. You know, Arthur Max, who was the production designer on Gladiator, is the production designer on this again. So you know it's going to look amazing. So, uh, and Charles Lazarica has been on set with that thing for months. You know. Yeah. He, he's, uh, he's been. He's been. Uh, the director of Crave. He's been. He's been Facebooking like mad about it. So uh, we'll see. All right, Chevelle, thank you for the question. Uh, email us at gods at digigods.com. Your box box is Andrew emails.